0: Today I will be reading and preaching from Hebrews chapter four, verse one through ten. Hear now the word of God. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to fail to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and for those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Faith comes from hearing. In hearing the word of Christ, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, help us today to hear your voice and not to harden our hearts. That we would be those who would be united in faith with those who listened, that the good news would resonate even more we have one better than Moses in Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to also obey and follow Jesus Christ into the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I do hope that the last chapter, chapter 3, that there is still some echoing of what was proclaimed to us because those echoes continue to reign through the rest of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Verse 6 of chapter 3, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence, and our boasting and hope. And then from last week, remembering what Caleb said to quiet the people as they were on the edge of the promised land, he said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it remembering that God had fought these battles, and as we have heard even this morning through the reading of the scriptures, specifically what Jesus has done to accomplish the victory over the greatest battle ever, let us remember and consider Jesus who is greater than all that was before, greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than the promised land itself, but not because They are in contrast to him, but because they themselves have also been pointing to Jesus Christ. We, of all people, who now have been given this good news, have even more ability and reason to heed the call of everything that the Lord has given us. And so here, therefore, as we go into this next chapter... Let us see what this promise being more fleshed out in its fulfillment of what Christ has brought us. He has brought all of these things to fulfillment that were promised before. Before we go into that, I forgot the question I was going to ask. I had it set here and I left it out. I guess the question that I would have in mind for you is, should every Christian and non-Christian obey the Ten Commandments? How would you answer that? If, if just some random person on the street would come to you, and maybe they were quickly one to tell you that they were not a believer, that they were not a Christian, and they said, do I have to obey the Ten Commandments how would you answer that question? If you live near me, you better. <laughs> if you live near me, you better? Because okay. If you don't, you can just commit murder, then I could be one of your victims. Okay. All I mean, right. In any sense, it depends on uh, if the word should means just should, not a must. And secondly, um, who will enforce that? If for, for non-Christians, if there is no enforcement, they will say I I can do whatever I want. Okay. Any other answers? I think it's a good moral code, like, but it's not gonna earn them anything. Okay. I say no, but you want to. It was was that again? You should want to. You should want to. Okay. And so So, well, tell me what the commandments are. And so you start going through the commandments and and then we are told that we're not to worship any other God than Yahweh. We are not to worship anything through images and statues, particularly his worship is holy and separate in the second commandment. So not only are we only to worship him, we are to worship him according to his own calling. Three, we're not to take his name in vain. And here you're starting to get, well, what's this mean, taking his name? But then when we get to the fourth commandment, what does that fourth commandment mean to a non-believer? Would you answer that question to the fourth commandment? Solely because, well, it's just natural that we should be able to have rest. And there's truth to this. We could say, well, we have daily Sabbath every night, we have a rest in the end of the day, and we have here a weekly Sabbath, and then we see that the Lord is even instructed through his old covenant that there were these periodical Sabbaths of celebration also. But what is what would we how would we explain the essence of the fourth commandment to someone who, are, who, are not, who is not a part of God's people. The fourth commandment has inside of it this very thing that we see in verse one of chapter four. It says that therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. We have here, and we know that I'm kind of getting ahead of myself automatically because we know that in verse 10 or 8 through 10 that we have this being highlighted, this idea of Sabbath, that this promise of entering his rest is interwoven with the promise of land and that there is these different things symbols or different, I don't even want to say symbols in of themselves, but there are these different dispensations of God's dealing with his people that he was using land and rest to point to something that is in Jesus Christ that was specifically for a particular people. The challenge with the Ten Commandments for people who are unbelievers is that the Ten Commandments were not written for unbelievers. The Ten Commandments were written for God's people. Now, it's true that the things that are required in the Ten Commandments are ultimately required of all people because they are his creation. But they are specifically to be paid attention to by God's people. And the challenge is that if they do not understand what these things mean, ultimately being fulfilled and accomplished in Jesus Christ. Very much like Kelly said, that it's not going to amount to much other than a moral lifestyle. There are a lot of people who have adopted the principles of the Ten Commandments, but they are not those who will enter into his rest. And so it's good to go into this particular passage to be remembering that this here is about the people, the promised people, about a promised land, that this is something that we are to be focusing on very intently, and that here inside of this very first verse it is a recognition that there are those who are under the maybe the name of God as God's people who have still failed to reach the reality of that rest and will fail to receive that rest. But even so, beyond that, that there are people in this world that will not enter into this rest unless they know this very Jesus Christ. This is a proclamation of internal consideration and ecclesiastical evangelism and world evangelism all in one. It's to evaluate your own heart of where you stand in understanding this rest. And where those amongst us, where they stand. Because if you remember from the story mentioned in last week's sermon, that it was to God's people that Caleb was speaking to when he said, let us keep going, let us enter in. We have every reason to believe we will overcome. And it was the bulk of those people who did not enter into that rest. God's people. This is not, that was not to the Philistines. But here, even better than Caleb and better than Moses and better than the Israelites, we have the church here today proclaiming this very truth that there is a rest that still stands for us to proclaim. Today, I want us to be thinking about this calling to us to be focused on the rest of God. The rest of God from his creation work, the rest of God from his promise work, and the rest of God from his salvation work. That it is that he is calling us to enter into his rest from his work. And therefore it should be reflective of his work and his rest to others when we too follow suit and celebrating Sabbath by living out rest. There is a proclamation for us here to not only to proclaim that rest, but to live that rest with faith and obedience today. What do you believe about Sabbath? What do you believe about the Sabbath? We see in the very beginning here that, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. It's an interesting command here that we have, that we are called to fear. Now we know that there are two different kinds of fear. We are told by God not to fear very often, not to fear his enemies, not to fear what tomorrow may bring, but that we are to fear him. And here we're actually being given a command to let us fear. This is a very good let us fear. This is a a fear that I think that all of you all would get excited. I now remember what my first question was going to be because of this point here. What if I told you that today, I know it's kind of an orthodox for me to do this, but today every single one of you are going to get a top-of-the-line, brand-new iPhone that just came out. And I didn't buy any cases for you. But as you leave, I'm going to be giving those to you and I don't have them in a box, but they're brand new. For some reason, they shipped them to me without a box and without cases and I'm going to give these to you and you, and I'll give you all the information you need to transfer your phone number to these brand new phones. Now, some of you might not care. Maybe you're like, I don't care for an iPhone, whatever. But some of you, when I hand that iPhone to you, what are you going to do? You're going to hold on to it, maybe with both hands, you're going to quickly put it maybe in your pocketbook or in your pocket or somewhere where? Somewhere safe. Why would you do that? Because you you are afraid, right? You are afraid that you might drop it or that you might crack it because there's no case, there's no protection and and it's, it's somewhat fragile, and so you would automatically have a sense of fear, but you would be happy at the same time. Like, yes, got an iPhone, especially if you have a broken phone right now, or if you've lost your phone, you would be even happier to get this, this expensive piece of equipment, and you would cherish it. And so that fear would be understandable to some degree, but you would be driven by fear to protect something that you would consider to be a valuable blessing. Mm-hmm. So if I gave that to you and I said, hey now, be careful with this. I mean, at, mo- at, at, at minimum, you could sell it for a lot of money and buy something you'd rather have. <laughs> you would appreciate that command to fear lest you drop it and lose the benefit of this treasure so when we see here in this first verse it says let us fear lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it it would be that times a billion when we consider the rest of god And that this rest that God has accomplished by the work of his son is something that we did not earn and something that we did not make of ourselves, but something that has been promised and given to us, but we must cherish it. And it says here that the people of God was given this good news was given this good blessing just as we have been given it, even though we have it even more than they have it. We Again, everything that we've read about Hebrews so far is saying we have more. They had Moses, they had the law, they had angels, they had the land. We have Jesus. Jesus is greater than all of these things. And so it is tremendously good news for us. But that good news was not a benefit to them because they did not believe they did not have faith that what they had was one valuable enough and that it would actually bring benefit to them and so therefore we were reminded multiple times that they did not enter into his rest now Again, continuing to use this silly analogy, and I apologize if you think my analogies are distracting, but I think sometimes they're just so obvious for us. If we saw somebody you know, with that new iPhone in their hand and they were going outside and they were flipping it around in the air or tossing it over to someone, you'd be thinking, have you lost your mind? Again, I don't care whether you like iPhones or not, but that's expensive. You can sell that and get some good money for it. What are you thinking? You're going to shatter that thing on the concrete sidewalk what's wrong with you you see here that we would know that this this person who's doing this they didn't get the value and we would be like what's wrong with them you're going to miss out On this benefit, again, here we have this, that it says that they were not united by faith with those who listened. We would compare to other people and say, look, those people who put it in their pocket or put it in their pocketbook, they're smart because they understand the value of what's going on here, and you don't. And they'll benefit. They'll either benefit from a new phone or they'll benefit from some new cash and again, this silly analogy, when you look at verse 3, it says, For we who have believed enter that rest. For those who have faith in this promise of rest, we are those who will receive that rest. So we see that the good news has two responses. This good news of Jesus Christ, not an iPhone, but the greatest of all, Jesus Christ, there are two responses. And again, we're focused first upon those who are among those named as God's people, that there are those who will respond by the lack of faith. There are going to be those who respond by faith and trust. And when you live out that faith and trust, there is the reception of rest. So this is a good news response. What do you believe about the Sabbath? What do you believe about Sabbath? Now you might not think this is very important because a lot of us today, and there's good reason to to have a somewhat separation because when we look in the Old Covenant, we see that there were a lot of things about Sabbath that were particularly ceremonial in its use to point to Jesus Christ. And then we also know that there are things that Jesus taught us in the gospel that are in contrast to what was being held by Jewish people. And so for many of us, we think, well, it's not the same. It's different. And I would say, yes, but no. And I think that as we look at what we have here by the writer of the Hebrews teaching us to hold on to this great treasure we have in God's Sabbath rest that it's important for us again to know what God's people were walking through in their thinking so that we may have a better understanding of how to live out that Sabbath rest that we're being commanded to do now in the New Testament. Now, I'm just going to make a little side note here that's somewhat of an asterisk for the normal flow of the sermon is that I understand that probably in this room there are some distinctions of how people practice adhering to the Lord's Day on Sunday or what they think about Sabbath as being the seventh day. And I know that I cannot in this one sermon Give you all the breakdowns of what different people believe and why this is good and why this is bad. But I think it's important for us to go in through the Old Testament because he has highlighted here for us things that God was doing with the Sabbath that is important for us to understand as we go into this passage. It says in verse 3 it says, For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now I have to admit, in preparation for this particular passage, I was thinking, wow, this is kind of a deviation from where my mind is going right now. You're going all the way back to creation. Yes, he is. And so therefore, we are too. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. And if you have a little slip, you have all of these passages that we'll be going through noted at the bottom of that particular slip. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's like repetition. Again, we're being reminded here that it is God who created all things. That he had done these things. And that when he had finished creating the heavens and the earth, that he rested. Now, that should cause us, we could stand here and just think about that all day, that the fact that God would rest is an amazing concept, that God would would desire to rest. Is he resting because he needed to rest, that he got tired? I don't know, maybe he did get tired. But I know that he rested, and I know that he took delight in, in the work that was accomplished. And I know that there was a celebratory element of this, that there was celebration that he had created this good creation. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is, in within, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We see here in Exodus chapter 20 that it gives this command that is a part of the law given to people of God to make this day or keep it as holy. And it is referencing particularly the thing that we just read in Genesis because we are to remember that God created all things and that he rested on the seventh day. So we know that this law is interwoven with the rest that God experienced at creation. Now I know we're having to go really deep here, but you have to follow me. It's the writer of Hebrews' fall here. He is telling <laughs> us now that as we are considering this promise to enter into his rest, we have to also consider what God did at very creation. And as we're considering that this is written to the Hebrews, it is imperative and important for us to remember the law of God. And the law of God is telling us to remember that God rested in his work at creation. So we need to carry this baggage with us. It is baggage that is good and holy because it is his word. And so we're remembering that this command given to people that we have been already affirming here in our answer to the question is a good moral command law but it is also a good promise law turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12 you may have already done that if you're looking at your notes there and you're like why is he doing this again well again it's the god's word that are tying all these things together Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12 observe the sabbath day to keep it holy as the lord your god commanded you six days you shall labor and do all your work but in the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, your ox or your donkey or or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Just to reiterate, this is very clear that everything that's within your jurisdiction and under your care And under your name, it is to take on this call to rest. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In Exodus, we see how the command was given to them to remind them of creation, of the rest that God had at creation. And now here in Deuteronomy, in the repeating of the law, we are now being reminded to remember salvation. The salvation from slavery of God's people from their captivity. Now, does anyone in here believe that when we are learning in the Old Testament about the slavery that Israel experienced in Egypt, that it has nothing to do with our slavery of sin. Did, that, did you follow my question there? It might have been a kind of a confusing question. Let me, let me go around the, the other way. Like, what, is he just, what did he just ask me? Does everyone in here agree that it is good for us when we think of Israel in Egypt that it is pointing to our slavery of sin? it's a fairly universally accepted thing. So when we see this particular command, we see that this commandment about rest, Sabbath, is to be interwoven with our understanding of salvation. And we can tell here in Hebrews that we're seeing this continuing in resonation as we see that Christ is our salvation. But he, again, is the one pointing us all the way back to the foundation of the world, going all the way back with these people who would be very familiar with the law. And he's saying that this particular Sabbath, this particular rest is pointing to this Jesus, but we too need to fear that we do not believe faithfully about rest because we may lose it. We may lose the value. We may not benefit from that rest if we do not understand what God is telling us. Now let us fast forward real quickly. And again, I'm not going to read all the passages that you see listed there. But in Luke chapter 14, I want to highlight for you that when Jesus came, many of us believe, okay, G- when Jesus came, he changed things. Yes, he changed things. He is very much you know, doing the same thing. He's echoing that. Yes, Jesus changed things. But what did he change about the Sabbath? Because that's usually where we, I think, as the Church of Jesus Christ begin to maybe go in a wrong direction about understanding the importance of us having a good and right view of God's rest. On verse chapter one, excuse me, verse one of chapter fourteen. One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before, who had, before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. When want to stop there. Pause. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? If you were a Pharisee, if you were not even a Pharisee, but you were just a, just a regular old Jew, And you were standing there, and Jesus looked around and he said to everyone, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What would you have said in your heart? Because you would have probably remained silent like the rest of them. What would you have said? Good answer. What is your thoughts of whether it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It is a little bit of a trick question. But what would be the answer? It sounds like it's work. Okay, so what's the answer? (laughs) It had to be lawful if Jesus did. That's a good answer, Micah. (laughs) Did Jesus change the law? Did he change what was lawful? But why is this perplexing for them? The reason why it's perplexing for them is because they had added to the law. They had added to the law by their own traditions. It is not unlawful in the old covenant to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus did not introduce a new way of doing things here in this particular moment. He was actually fulfilling the very command of granting this man who had dropsy rest from his burden. Now, a lot of people, when they read this, they are assuming that he is conflicting with the old covenant, and he was not. He was conflicting with their traditions. I think it's Hasidim, Hasidim, is that how you say it? The, the, the new laws that they had added to, that they were following their traditions, that they, you could not heal someone unless their life was in danger. That was not called upon in the old covenant. So when Jesus went further, it says, then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things because they, have, they had already put themselves into checkmate by their own life. They know that if they had a son or an ox that had fallen into a ditch or a well on the Sabbath day, that they would rescue that one from their burden of being in distress. That would actually be common sense to grant that rest to them. But what he was saying here is that even common sense teaches you the essence of what is called in the law of the Sabbath, which is to grant rest. The reason why I read both of those readings of the law is because the whole focus is is to one, to take on this holy rest, to enter into this holy rest One, remembering what God had accomplished at creation and that he entered into rest. And that two, that we are those in need of salvation through the redemption of that creation in that rest. That when we live our lives, we should be granting other people rest. And that this particular day that was given for rest would be an obvious thing for us to even heal other people. That Jesus wasn't doing something in contrast to the Old Testament, he was actually fulfilling the Old Testament law in a very extreme and amazing way That is the only thing greater than that is to grant the rest of people from their burden of sin and death. That's what all the healings would point to. That's why he would say, which is greater. And it would create this kind of confusion. But he gave the rest of the forgiveness of sin. He was performing obedience to this old covenant and new covenant understanding of rest in its fullness by granting this rest. So as again, going back and look, this is good news. This is good news that we have Jesus Christ who has come and he has the power to fulfill everything that the Sabbath was pointing to and that he was granting rest for his people. He was going to work in the redemption of what his father had started by redeeming it with his own life. He was granting rest. This is not to be used as, oh, well, he was doing, he was, since Jesus is a healer, he was doing his job on the Sabbath. And if I'm a plumber or a facilities manager, then it's okay for me to do plumbing and just do my regular occupation on the Sabbath as well. That wasn't what was being taught here. He was fulfilling ultimate rest for his people by granting healing to this one. Now it doesn't mean that if, you know, if your pipes are bursting and water's going everywhere and your house is in distress, like, well, sorry, we've got to wait till Monday. It wasn't, well, it's, not the point, the, it's not the point of this. The point is that Jesus was fulfilling obedience to the fourth commandment. He was fulfilling it to the fourth commandment because he is the fulfillment of the fourth commandment in its fullness. Moving on, verse six. It says, since therefore, there, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So we see two things here being proclaimed, that for that we're all looking back at Israel. The writer of Hebrews, which is ultimately the representation of God by giving us God's word, is saying, remember what Israel did and apply it to your own lives to actually fear that you may create the same mistake, that one, you would not be united in faith about the rest of God. And then two, that you may actually disobey. Because see, it says here that they did not receive that rest, that rest that we are called to cherish and to hold on to, that we may not enter into that rest, not only because of lack of faith, but because of disobedience, which are all ultimately interwoven. You ever think about that? You ever think about when you have sinned and when you have disobeyed? That the ultimate heart of that is that you didn't ultimately believe. I know that just like I mentioned during prayer this morning, you know, we we are those who are still sinners in need of a savior. And as I'm wrangling through this morning, and we've got sin bombs going all over the home, and you know, it would be nice. It would be nice to be able to walk through that that complete firestorm of sin bombs going off and say, like, whew, I was able to get out of that without sinning myself, but that's, just not the case. And then when, as you're being convicted about losing your cool or being not gentle on how you were speaking, being harsh, being a bad example, these are just potential examples. <laughs> you're realizing, I know better than this. I know the truth. I know what I'm called to. But I obviously didn't believe it in that moment when when I had a chance to either not say anything at all or speak more gently. I chose to go the other way. Why did I choose to do that? And as you dissect your heart, you realize that it's because you're not really ultimately believing the truth. that this, One, that God has commanded it, but that it also that there is benefit. That there's actually in your mind at that moment when you disobey that you think that there is benefit on acting like a complete buffoon. It's like this looks like a good idea. Right, like a ba- buffoon and it'll turn out well with you. Well, we have to recognize that that's nothing but Satan deceiving us like he did from the very beginning. There is no benefit that the only benefit of rest is trusting God and obeying God, just to trust and to obey. So two things that we need to watch out as we are called to fear, that as we've been given as the promised people, we are the promised people. Those who hold on to Jesus Christ are the promised people. And we have been given this promised rest that the promised land only really ultimately represented. We actually have a greater fulfillment of that in Christ. And we are told that we don't want to lose this cherished treasure by the lack of faith and the lack of obedience So therefore, we should respond. For those who didn't enter into rest, it was disobedience that was the reason. For those who entered into rest, it was because they rested in the obedience of Jesus Christ. And they followed the obedience of Jesus Christ by obeying Jesus Christ. For if Joshua, verse 8, had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did his. It is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that we heard very vividly described today in, in, in the gospel reading that allows us to have that rest. So therefore, because of Jesus Christ, there remains a Sabbath rest. What does that mean, remains a Sabbath rest? We've already seen the word rest repeated multiple times. I won't make you go through and count it this time. But this time, there is a different Greek word. It's actually one Greek word that has been translated into English as Sabbath rest that is different than the Greek word that was being used as rest thus far. This particular word, is sabbatismos, and it's a very unique word because it means cease and celebrate. It's very much kind of like the idea of the word hosanna that has these two different kinds of proclamation verb words. It is here in Hosanna, we are calling out to the Savior, proclaiming that he is our Savior and Messiah, and we're petitioning him to save. Here we have this command word of Sabbath rest that's saying cease and enter into celebration. It's telling us to stop what we're doing and celebrate. Stop from our works stop from our striving with sin and celebrate that the work has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. When you hear the word Sabbath, especially in this Greek form of that word, it should be good news. When I was striving with my sin again this morning, if I could have just had the moment to think about the meaning of the word Sabbath and I would just stop. And I would cease from my striving with my own internal false God. And I would just surrender to celebrate the coming of the King. I would have benefited from a temporal rest that points to an eternal rest. It's cessation and celebration. So, the question I have for you today as we close what rest do you seek? Do you believe that God has this rest for us? Remember that Israel questioned the rest that was before them. Caleb recognized the rest that was before him because he remembered what God had done. As we go into what many call the Holy Week this week, as they think about Jesus' path to the cross, and we remember what he has done, we are called to be those to believe in rest, to believe in Sabbath. And we can go into a lot of different paths about how that should reflect upon us today and what the Lord Day means and what our rest should mean. But look there at the Slip of paper that I gave you. This is what the church, after watching Pharisees part 5,000 of the Roman Catholic Church go off base and try to put their mind around worship. Now, this is in light of worship. They said this about the Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, this is the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, section 8, and the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 22, section 8. These are the identical words. If you looked at the London Baptist or the Westminster Confession of Faith, this isn't just a Presbyterian belief. This is also what our Reformed Baptist brothers proclaim to also. It says, this Sabbath, is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after due preparing of their hearts and the ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their works, words, and thoughts about the worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercise of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy." What they've tried to do here is to take all of those passages that are underlined below that there, and they've tried to bring all that in and try to articulate what our posture should be, what we should believe about the Sabbath rest, this ceasing and celebrating. And they put it at the end of the chapter on worship because it is here where we are able to highlight at the beginning of our week what we believe about our ultimate rest. Now, I pray that as you, I gave this to you in written form so you could go home and read the, 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 the actual passages themselves, do not let just maybe your traditions, in my traditions, we have lots of traditions for Sunday, or we have lots of lack of traditions on Sunday. We like to just veg on Sunday as much as possible. Don't let that be what drives your understanding of rest. I think it's imperative because it is here in this Hebrew passage that we are to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. And it should reflect not only our posture toward God, but in obedience to God, our posture to one another. I did not give my family very much rest this morning in my tone and my attitude, I did not show forth very much grace. I do not remember what Jesus Christ had accomplished. Jesus Christ has accomplished everything needed that we can rest in him. And therefore our response should be worship, worship and in celebration of that very fact. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let us pray.